I'm excited to be with you guys because I get to wear jeans today. That was my most exciting thing about today. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so you did steal me from Reverend Kasberg, but um, it's an honor and privilege to be here with you guys real quick and to dig into God's word. So let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you uh, just um, for the word that you provide us this morning, Lord. Uh, as we go before you, just open our hearts and our hands to be able to receive this message. Uh, Lord, imprint it upon our hearts in such a way that we take it and we apply it to our lives, Lord. And as we uh, just wrestle with this word, Lord, I just ask that um, your words become my words, Lord, and um, that we just receive this message and just push out anything that could distract us from just hearing what we need to hear from this. And it's in the glorious name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Like I said, it's, a, it's an honor and privilege to be here with you, so let's just uh, jump right in. One of my favorite songs, uh, I like contemporary Christian music, and one of my favorite songs uh, came out in 2014 by a Christian hip-hop artist by the name of Lecrae Moore. Um, don't judge me. Um, and it featured also the band for King and Country. You guys may have heard of them before. And it's the song's called Messengers. And in this song... Um, there's a stanza within the song that captures just kind of the gist of what it means to live on mission, right? And it says this, it says, we've been given a call, been forgiven, risen, we living to give him our all, rise up from your past, it's holding you down. This moment is all that matters, the future is now. How will the people know if we don't tell them, if we fail them? They stumbling in the dark, but the light is what we carry we don't have to wonder about your purpose or what you're here for. And this last line, reflect his image and show the world what he cares for. What I love about this song is I think it's reminding us the fact that as Christ followers, we've been adopted into God's family, and as we've been adopted into God's family, that he has called us to be ambassadors, to carry this message as we heard in worship today, right? We've been called to reflect his image, to carry this message, to proclaim it to those who are lost, who need hope. Um, and so it's this idea that wherever God has planted us, wherever he has placed us, whether it's work, school, friends, wherever God has planted us, he has called us to live on mission, to be his ambassador. So the question becomes, you might be asking, okay, you keep using this word ambassador, but what does that word ambassador mean? If I were to describe to you what an ambassador of Christ is, how would you describe it? How would you define it, Pat? And I would say it's this. It is someone who leverages their time, their talents, their character, and their resources and power to move people closer to Jesus. And this morning, we're going to see in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, or 5 through 18, how Christ calls us, he empowers us, and he sends the 12 apostles to the lost house of Israel to share and proclaim the gospel. In fact, this is what he says, starting in Matthew chapter 10. We're going to start from verse 5. It says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, and freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. 
As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom or Gomorrah on the day of judgment than, that, than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Now, in this part of Matthew, Jesus is further highlighting for us his mission. But at another level, Matthew is also showing us that Jesus is inviting his disciples, those who he's brought into a family, to come along for the ride. You are going to be my ambassadors. You are going to represent my message. Essentially, we are seeing in this passage that as disciples of Christ, we are brought into this mission to share the way of Jesus with others. We are to be a light. We are to be salt. In fact, but we have to ask the question, then what is the mission? What is the mission of Christ? And I would go all the way back. I know you guys have been studying Matthew, but if you go all the way back to chapter 1 of Matthew in verse 21, you guys know the story. Joseph is doubting whether or not he should stay with Mary, should divorce her quietly. And the angel of the Lord's talking to Joseph. And he says this promise to her. He says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. So the mission of Christ is to come and to deal. We heard that to be a propitiation for our sins, to deal with this issue of sin. In fact, John the Baptist confirms this again in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. What does he say? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's to turn from sin and turn back towards something. And then it's further confirmed. Jesus confirms it a chapter later in chapter 4, verse 17. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we know the kingdom of heaven is here because we know that the king himself has made himself known. He has shown up. Matthew is establishing that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the king. He is the son of David. He's the rightful heir to David's throne. He is King Jesus. And he's also the son of Abraham, the one who fulfills the promise that someday that the people of God will be a blessing to the nations. See, because we've been adopted into the family of God through Christ, through what he's done for us on our behalf, we are now his royal representatives. And we are to go, wherever we go, wherever he plants us, we are to represent and mirror him. We are to share the way of Jesus with others, both in proclaiming the message and also in how we live. In fact, this is kind of our big idea from the text today. It's this, because Jesus has called us to take part in his mission as ambassadors, we must proclaim the gospel. We have a call to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? How do we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? We do it in two ways that we're going to see from the text today. First, we have to enter into the brokenness of others by sharing the gospel. We have to know where our community, where our family members, where people are hurting, and we have to take the gospel there with us. And then additionally, we must live with prudence and integrity. Our character matters. How we live matters to be on mission. So let's look at our first point about entering into the brokenness of others by sharing the gospel. We saw this in verse 7 through 8. It says this, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. 
heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I want us to notice right there in those passages, I want you guys to see the parallel between Jesus' ministry and what the ministry of the twelve are supposed to be like. Just as Jesus went from town to town preaching the gospel and healing the sick, he is now calling the twelve to do the same. Now, some of you should be asking the question, are you saying I get to raise the dead? So let's deal with that for a second. Listen, I don't know, and I certainly don't want to put God in a box, but using the clues from the text of the scripture, I think the purpose of the apostles to be able to heal like Jesus, serve, like Jesus serves is more to verify the authority and power of the gospel message that they were given by Jesus himself. Like I said, I don't want to put God in a box, but I think it's showing and demonstrating the power of the message. I mean, we, guys, we talked about it. Your guys' memory verse for this week is verse 1. What does verse 1 say? It says this, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Notice there, the disciples are called. They're specifically called out for a purpose, but then they're given the authority of Christ to carry out this message. So the signs performed by the 12 serve the purpose to tell the world this. The king is here, and he's on the move, and the gates of hell will not stand. Jesus is on the move. God's grace, his mercy, it will win, it will triumph. And additionally, notice that the 12 were sent first just to the house of Israel and not to the Gentiles. This doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the Gentiles. Now the question becomes, why is that? Why does he send them just to the house of Israel first and not to everyone? Here's what I think. Because when Jesus starts to train us, starts to prepare us and equip us to live out his mission, he's going to start out with the easier task right before us. He starts with the people we know and love. Plus, if you look at this theologically, God is not giving up on the house of Israel. He will come to them first. And so he, if we want to have this missional spirit, this missional mindset, then we have to start right with where God has placed us, where he's planted us. We start with the people that he's brought into our lives, the people who matter most to us. Brothers, sisters, spouses, friends, neighbors, in-laws, co-workers, teammates, classmates, teachers. I mean, we could go on and on and on with all the different people that we, that have been placed in our life. And our call is to take that message, to live it out, and to proclaim it to those who have been brought in our life. Are we faithful with what we've been given? And are we freely giving grace just as it was given to us. If you notice that last phrase, as has freely been given to you, freely give. You guys heard this morning in worship, the gospel is not something we can earn or do. It was freely given to us. Jesus Christ lived the life we lived, died the death we deserved, so we could be with him. And we received that message. Now we need to take it and freely give it to others so they can experience God's grace and mercy. We proclaim the message and freely meet the needs of others because it mirrors God's grace. 
So we have to be identifying and looking for where there is brokenness within our own communities and looking for those opportunities to best mirror God's grace when we are faithfully entering into people's lives, sharing the gospel with them. I like to think of it this way. Um, I just recently moved from Winsville, which is out in St. Charles County, and one night when we lived out in Winsville, me and my wife Rachel, I think we were at a wedding, um, and we were driving we were driving west on Interstate 70 um, back to Winsville, and you all live in Missouri, you know how thunderstorms can be. <laughs> you know what it's like to have a supercell thunderstorm. It was at night, we're driving back in the storm. This storm was so intense, the lightning, I mean, as it just crackled through the sky, you could see, even in the dark, you could see the outline of the thunderhead, and you, we knew we were driving into this intense thunderstorm, and it was going to be a matter of minutes before it just started downpouring, and I think we actually had to pull off the side of the road. It started hailing. We didn't know if there was going to be like a tornado warning. It was intense. But it was funny because the one thing my wife said to me as, as Rachel sat next to me, we had our daughter Kaylin in the back. Rachel looks at me and she says, you know, Pat, is this not an image of what it's like to live the Christian life? A lot of people will run from the storms in other people's lives, but we have a message of hope and we can drive right into it. And we can proclaim the gospel. We can be salt and light in the storms and the brokenness of life. And I thought to myself, man, you get it. You get it. We have to be willing to go to those whom we love into the storms and messes of their life to proclaim the gospel, to speak the message of grace in their lives because it's there that we have something so much different than the rest of the world has. We have a message of grace, a message of hope, a message of someday restoration coming to a fallen, broken world. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? How do we learn to share the gospel? How do we proclaim this message? Well, first and foremost, we actually have to learn how to articulate the gospel, how to proclaim it. I like to do it this way. Usually when I'm witnessing to someone or, or sharing my faith, I always, I always go this route. I like to summarize the whole story up for them. God made it, we broke it, Jesus fixes it, we live it, kingdom come. And the reason I like to share it this way is because when I start with God made it, we are not some sort of cosmic accident. There's intention, purpose to the creation of the world. We broke it highlights this idea of the curse of sin and brokenness within our world and how we're living the ramifications out of that and how the story of Israel you know, they're, they're wrestling with what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God. They keep failing and struggling, but there's this promise of a Messiah, someone to come someday who is going to set and take care of the problem of sin, to be a blessing to the nations. And then Jesus fixes it. He enters into our mess. Just as he literally leaves his throne and comes into our mess, we also have to mirror and reflect that as well too. So Jesus enters into our mess. He fixes it by dying the death we deserved on the cross. We live it. We have to respond to the gospel. How do we respond to the gospel? We, we respond to the gospel by taking it wherever God plants us, looking for those opportunities, praying for those opportunities to share our faith with others. And then kingdom come, the hope that someday... We get to share the message with someone that every wrong you've experienced in your life someday will be set right. As we see in Revelation 21, he will wipe away all of our tears. 
and all things will be new. I mean, that's where the story is going. That's the hope we have that the rest of the world doesn't have. So we have to be willing to carry that message wherever we go. And so I like to share the, the gospel this way because we are storied creatures. We have a narrative. We share our stories to make sense of our world. So sharing the biblical narrative in a way shows how God's story has impacted our story. We tell the world we can trust the next chapter of our lives because we actually know that the author himself has entered into the story to take care of our greatest problem and our greatest need, which is sin. And then we have to ask ourselves, who do we pray for? We have to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Who in my life needs to hear the gospel message? Who needs to see it? Who needs to hear how God has even impacted my life? Do you know how to take your story and articulate it in a way that shows how Christ has done something miraculous within your own life? And then we have to pursue those whom we love. We have to learn the stories of others. If you have one hour with a person, I've always been challenged with this. Francis Schaeffer, who's a theologian, talked about this. He says, whenever I have one hour with a person, I want them to speak for 55 minutes and me only five. Because listening to others is a powerful way to enter into their story, to know where the brokenness is in their life so we can speak truth to the gospel in it. And it also teaches us how to love God and how to love others well. So not only must we enter into the brokenness of others, but we have to live with this prudence, this prudence and integrity. We have to live with character. Notice how Matthew quotes Jesus in verses 16 through 18. He says this, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the Gentiles. Matthew right here up front is telling us, he's like, listen, you are going to face opposition potentially persecution and even rejection. In fact, in verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Notice Jesus is not sending us into the wolves. He's saying you're already among the wolves. The opposition's not out here in front of us. We're already in, in the midst of it. He's saying that we're already among them. So, so what advice does Jesus give to his disciples? He says this, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. What does that mean? Because usually when you hear the term serpent within Scripture, it's usually not a good thing. So why is Jesus using this analogy? It means that we as ambassadors, we have to think of ourselves in terms of the serpent, a snake, right? It knows how to camouflage itself and hide itself when there's danger, right? But then Jesus also counteracts that because he's like, we can't just completely withdraw. But he counteracts this with this image of a dove. Be innocent as doves. The word here for innocence in the Greek literally means to be like blameless or even this idea of being naive. Doves were known and are known for their naivety and boldness. What this means is that although we're supposed to be aware that we're among wolves and that there is potential danger out there and that there is potential opposition to the gospel, we also have to be bold enough to know when we have to act and share the message. We're not to be so guarded and unwilling to take risks that we actually don't do or say anything when it comes to sharing the gospel. 
We have to just be able to, to analyze and decide when is the right time to move and go. It means we have to be calculated. We have to be wise in our interactions, and we have to do our homework. But we have to act. So living on mission means we're going to face this opposition, this rejection. We may be slandered, rejected, right? And this is why we need to be innocent, to be wise and blameless before others. Our character and our integrity matters in our, in our witness. It has to matter in such a way that when we walk by the Spirit, when we're walking by the Spirit, trusting in the Spirit to guide and lead us, our actions, even in the face of opposition, demonstrate what it's like to live within the kingdom of God. Our integrity, our character, when it comes to living on mission, makes the invisible church visible such that people give glory to God because of our actions. Jesus says, let, you know, let your light shine before others so that people may see them and give glory to your Father in heaven. Even the purpose of the good things that we do is for the sake of giving glory to Christ. I love the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said this in the 20th century. It was during World War II. He says, what the church will need, what our century will need, are not people of genius, not brilliant tacticians or strategists, but simple, straightforward, honest men and women. I mean, it applies to today as well, too. Just as we see in this quote, as we see in Jesus' advice to the, to the disciples to live on mission caught, Cautiously, we must live boldly. We must make sure that our lives are marked with integrity and character and Christ-likeness. So the question becomes, how do we apply this? How do we live with prudence and integrity? Well, we have to model our life after Christ's life. What do I mean by that? Last night, I had the privilege um, of being at the Cardinals game, and I'm a huge baseball fan. I grew up playing baseball, loved baseball. One of the things I would always do with my friends is I would imitate famous baseball players' batting stances, right? Anywhere from Ken Griffey Jr. when I was growing up, that kind of dates me a little bit. Frank Thomas, Albert Pujols, some of you may be familiar with, Jeff Bagwell. There was all these famous hitters that we would try to imitate our stance after. But as I got even older and got more serious about playing baseball, not only did I imitate their stances, but I would study how they practiced and trained so I could be a better hitter when I played in high school. I wanted to mimic their training habits so I could be a better hitter, to be more disciplined. And I think the same is true for us. We have to mimic our lives not only after Christ, but we have to find those more experienced who have walked further along this journey in Christ and say, what can I learn from them? How can I model my game after people that have gone before me? I mean, the Apostle Paul said it like this. He said this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is why we need our community. We need others we can follow after, others who have done this before us. We need brothers and sisters. We need this community to be able to grow our community, to live on mission, to live with prudence, with integrity, with character, so that we can effectively live on mission. So I'll leave us with this this morning. John Stott uh, is one of my favorite theologians, he wrote this um, about kind of living on mission. He said this. He says, Jesus sends us into the world as he was sent into the world. 
We have to penetrate others' worlds as he penetrated ours. The world of their thinking as we struggle to understand their misunderstandings of the gospel. The world of their feeling as we try to emphasize with their pain. And the world of their living as we sense the humiliation of their social situation, whether it's poverty, homelessness, unemployment, discrimination. And what I love about this is Stott's just telling us, he's like, listen, just as Christ has entered into your mess, he has left his throne. And that's, that's kind of the theme of Scripture, this idea that, that God leaves his throne and comes to us. We see this time and time again. God enters into our life. We too have to go and enter into other people's lives. We have to live on mission. We have to enter into other people's lives so that they can experience the same grace that we receive at the hands of Christ so we can reflect the heart of Christ, reflect his image, and show the world what he cares for us. So brothers and sisters, I would say this to us this morning. Let us live on mission. Let us reflect the heart and character of Christ in such a way that the world's asking, what do they have that I don't? Let us pray.